tonight, David, a warrior after God's own heart. We think of um, a warrior, when we think of a warrior sometimes, you know, what comes to mind, we think of maybe someone brave, someone courageous, someone fearless, someone that is skilled in hand-to-hand combat or skilled in weaponry. We think of the commando or the Rambo, right? We, we, we tend to get this picture, and, and oftentimes that's a more Hollywood uh, stereotype of a warrior, a more Hollywood version of a warrior. I like the story of uh, Corporal Desmond Doss. Remember him? Uh, World War II Army veteran. Uh, his life was portrayed in the Mel Gibson movie Hacksaw Ridge. Corporal Desmond Doss, he earned a Purple Heart. He earned two Bronze Stars, which are given for bravery in combat. He also won the Congressional Medal of Honor for having rescued 75 wounded soldiers. But most importantly, he won the respect and the gratitude of his fellow soldiers that used to mock him and beat him and threaten him because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He earned these accreditations having never even picked up a firearm. So while other soldiers and while other warriors were killing the enemy, Corporal Desmond Doss was literally saving lives. He was a self-proclaimed pacifist. He didn't believe in war. And he had strong convictions about picking up a firearm against another human being. But even in spite of those convictions and in spite of being a pacifist, he knew and understood that the cause was noble and just and that he had to be a part of that, that it didn't exclude him from being in warfare and it didn't exclude him from being on the battlefield. And the truth is, is that if you've been saved for any amount of time, you know that you're not excluded from the battlefield. You know that eventually, inevitably, you will face a struggle, you will face a, a uh, opposition, you will face some type of, of struggle, some type of battle of your own. And if we're going to be successful and have victory over the enemy, then we need to have the mindset and the attitude of a warrior for God. The book of Psalms, 144, verses 1 and 2. It says, Praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. He is my loving ally and my fortress, my tower of safety and my rescuer. He is my shield and I take refuge in him. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and, Lord, your word that guides us and directs us. I thank you for each and every warrior that is in this place tonight, God. Men and women, God, that uh, seek you and, and intercede, my God, Lord, for their family, for those around them, God, Lord, that you would continue to raise up prayer warriors and continue to raise up faithful, mighty men and women of God that love you, Lord, and that would be bold for you in these uh, days, Father God. I pray that we would be open and sensitive to your spirit tonight, Father. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. Dwight D. Eisenhower, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was familiar with war himself, he said this, he said, we are going to have peace even if we have to fight for it. We're going to have peace, and even if we have to fight for it, because I'm going to know that peace is 
is such a fragile thing at times. We want peace in our homes. We want peace in our marriage. We want peace with our, our children or our parents. We want peace in our lives. And peace can oftentimes uh, be something that needs to be contended for. It needs to be fought for. We thank God for our veterans, our veterans that served in the military, yes, especially our veterans that served in combat situations, because they understand how fragile peace is. They understand that uh, given the opportunity, you know, no one would choose a battlefield or, or, or war field, but uh, that mission and that sense of duty and that call that has been placed upon them, uh, that uh, they would go out and risk their lives for peace, for our peace, for our freedom. That they understand that they are, there are real enemies out there who would want to take away uh, the precious pre, uh, peace and precious freedoms that we have. Psalms 120, verse 7. Says, I search for peace, but when I speak of peace, they want war. Isn't that the truth sometimes? God will put certain people in our lives, and it just seems like all they want to do is argue. And just, I just want some peace, and you, 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 maybe it's a co-worker or just, you know, there always, just to be, there always seems to be some kind of strife or some kind of contention when it comes to that uh, individual, you know, Peace is what we strive for. We want peace with God. We want peace with others. And if we're honest, we even want peace within ourselves. Some of you know that sometimes that battle that goes on within our heart and within our mind. There is a real enemy. And the Bible says that he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And one of the things that he will attack is your peace. It's peace that keeps us steady and secure during any kind of storm. It's peace that, uh, the peace of God that comforts us uh, in our times of grief. And it's the peace of God that assures us that God, is under, uh, God has got everything under control. And it's also the peace of God that allows us to fight the battles and to fight the good fight of faith and to fight those and to overcome those struggles that we each will eventually uh, face in our lives. David, he was not a trained soldier. Prior to Goliath, he had no experience on the battlefield. David was a young shepherd boy. He took care of sheep. He took care of goats. He wasn't trained in the art of combat. But yet it doesn't mean that he wasn't a fighter. And it doesn't mean that uh, he wasn't willing to uh, protect that which was valuable to him. And it doesn't mean that he would back down in the face of an enemy. David, his success, it stemmed from his trust in God and his ability to learn. David had a teachable spirit, and we, we should pray for a teachable spirit, that we would be open and we would learn from, um, from God, from his word, from one another. David was able to learn uh, from his victories. See, his victories, as, as I said, they were a result of his faith and his obedience to God. But his victories were also a result of years of training. When David was out there attending sheep, he was in training. They say that the uh, definition of training is a process by which someone is taught the skills that are needed for an art, a profession, or a job. 
the process by which an athlete prepares for competition by exercising, practicing, and so forth. David, he fought a bear, the Bible says, and he fought a lion before he was able and qualified to fight the giant. In the book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 17, verses 34 through 37, it said, but David persisted. I mean, you know, if you're going to be a warrior for God, there's got to be a level of persistence in your life. Persistence in prayer, persistence in seeking the, the face and the mind of God. And he says, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with the club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, it says, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And Saul finally consented and said, all right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. You think about this, what, what David was, was saying. He says, I have fought lions, and I have fought bears. I could take this giant. And if you think about a, 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 a lion and a bear, these are ferocious, big animals. We were um, camping this past weekend in the eastern Sierras, and when we got to the campsite, uh, one of the first things they told us is, there is a bear on the loose, and he's hungry. So don't leave your, your food outside. And what did I do? I brought the food inside, but I left the cooler outside. And the cooler just had some water and had some ice and whatnot, but this bear understood what was in that cooler. And so while I was not in the trailer, I was outside, that bear paid us a visit. And he began to rummage through our, our campsite, and he began to just overturn the totes that I had out there, and then he picked up the cooler and he emptied it out. And my wife was hearing this commotion. She was in the trailer and she was like, what is my husband up to? What is he doing out there? And she opened the door and when she opened the door, what looks up was this big old 500 pound black bear just staring right at her. And I said, what did you do? She says, I yelled at him, get out of here bear, get out of here. And then she slammed the door and she locked it. I says, you locked the door. I was still outside. Why would you lock the door? Right? I saw that bear, and he was no joke. And you think about it, man. My gut reaction would not have been to yell at the bear, let alone go chase a bear down. And yet David, full of the Holy Spirit, full of God's grace, full of God's anointing, ran after this bear because it took something that was precious to him. It took a sheep that was entrusted to him, and he ran after that bear, and he took it, you know, and he says, if the animal would turn, I would just club it, man. And that's the mindset and the attitude that we need to have, is that, devil, you can't have my children. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my health. You can't have my church. You can't have my friends. See, Saul gave him the okay because he, was, he recognized a few things moving within the life of David. He saw that there was faith in the life of David. He saw that David was qualified, but he also saw that the Lord was with David. See, David gave God the glory, and he says, it was the Lord that rescued me out of the hands and out of the claws of the bear and out of the giant or um, the uh, lion. And he understood and knew that 
if God was with them there, that God would be with them when he had to face this giant, that he would not be facing this giant alone. He was not by himself, that the Spirit of God would be with him. After the victory over that giant, uh, David was made captain, captain over, of over a thousand men. He went from a sheep herder, tending sheep, to now leading men because he was prepared. The Bible says that we need to study to show ourselves approved. There are gifts and there are calls and there are talents that God gives us. And there's desires that we have to be used in the things of God. And there's desires that we have to to, uh, be useful for the kingdom of God. And these are good desires. It's a desire that God has placed into your heart. But with that gift and with that call and with that desire, there's, there's going to be a time of molding and shaping. And these gifts and these callings, they're developed through time and they're developed through battle. See, David understood that the lion was bigger and stronger than him. And he understood that the bear was bigger and stronger than him. And he understood that Goliath, the giant, was bigger and stronger than him. So he wasn't unaware of his enemy. And we need to take that as a warning that we would not underestimate our enemy. That devil is a liar. He's a conniver. He's crafting. He's crafty. He's patient. And oftentimes, I feel like sometimes when, when, when I'm playing chess, he's playing, or excuse me, when I'm playing checkers, he's playing chess, right? And so we, don't, we ought not to underestimate uh, the enemy, but you know what? We ought not to fear the enemy either, because the Bible says that the enemy is defeated. The Bible says that we've been given authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions, that if God goes before us, then who can be against us? Uh, this is what the Bible says about you and I as believers, uh, and this is uh, the area in the realm that David was working in. He understood that the enemy might have been bigger and stronger, but he knew who God was and that God ultimately had the last say and that God was stronger and that God gave him success over the, over the lion, over the bear, and he would give him success over that giant as well. Because God blessed David so often, he came to a place where there can be a danger in success. You know, we experience victories in our lives. We experience, you know, salvation. We experience healing and deliverance and freedom, and we experience these victories in our lives. And if we're not careful, though, we might find ourselves uh, in a place of comfort. And that's what happened with David, is that he found himself in a place of comfort. He got comfortable. And when you are comfortable on a battlefield, it can be dangerous. My brother... He is a Marine. Now, you cannot say ex-Marine. You say former Marine. Is that right, Marines in here, if there's any? So he's constantly reminding me there are no such thing. There's only a former Marine, right? And he, when, um, when he was serving, it was um, right uh, during the time of 9-11. We have uh, uh, the remembrance coming up this, this um, Saturday, I believe. And he went in, uh, to Iraq, and he went to fight in Iraq. And he doesn't say much about his time overseas. Uh, 
So when he does say something, I, I, I perk up and I make sure that I, I listen. And I remember he was saying that um, when he was over there that they were asking him, hey, Free, you know, why are you so you know, wound so tight? You don't take pictures and you're not social you know, with the locals. And that my brother told him this. He said, I am not on vacation. He understood where he was at. He understood that uh, at that moment in time, he was not there to relax. He was not there to pull back. He was not there to get comfortable. He was there to do what he had to do and get home quickly and safely. The book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11, verse 1. We also need to have that mindset. Sometimes uh, people, they, they, they say that people treat Christianity like a cruise ship and rather than a war zone. And in David's life, he came to a place where that comfort led him to make some unwise decisions. It says, in the spring of the year, when the kings go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. We know ultimately what happened and how it led to his fall with Bathsheba. And here is a picture of David where, where he should have been out on the battlefield leading his men. He pulled back. And because he pulled back, he allowed himself to be open to the enemy. And again, uh, we can be in that place of comfort sometimes where we've come and we've seen God do mighty works in our lives. We no longer struggle with some of the temptations we might have used to struggle with. Uh, we no longer wrestle with some of the uh, struggles and issues we might have wrestled with at one point. So we feel like, uh, I can miss Sunday service today. Or, you know what, uh, I don't have to, um, you know, check in with my leader tonight. Or, you know, if I get up and miss prayer in the morning, it's okay. And we can find ourselves pulling back rather than, engaging. And David, we know ultimately he fell, and uh, rather than come clean, he covered up the sin. And so David had to come to a place in his life where he would also learn from his defeat. Zig Ziglar said this, if you learn from defeat, you haven't really lost. And that's what makes a warrior great, is their ability to not only learn from their victories, but also learn from what didn't work, from their mistakes, from their errors, from failures. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Remember, David was known as a man after God's own heart. And here was a, a man that was very flawed and very uh, marred by the sin of adultery and the lying and the cover-up that... Uh, went along with it. Verse 22, it says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why? Because he will do everything I want him to do. That's what made David stand out. That's what made David a man after God's own heart as he was willing and able to do everything that God wanted him to do, which also meant come to a place 
where he would acknowledge and repent of his sin. He was completely submitted to God. In the book of 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel 12, we know the story. After David had covered up his sin and tried to go on and, and, and live his life, not coming to a reckoning, that the Spirit of God, uh, I mean, you know that uh, when there's something not right in our lives, he won't leave us alone. But he'll move upon us and bring us to a place where we can align our lives and align our will with the will of God. And he does it out of his love for you and I. And he sends Nathan the prophet to David and he tells him the story of uh, the two uh, men, one rich, one poor. And the poor man had one sheep who he loved the sheep and he cherished the sheep and he took care of it and or, lamb. And the rich man had many lambs. And when a traveler came and he came to the rich man, the rich man, rather than give him one of his own lambs, he took the lamb of the poor man. And he took that lamb and he killed it and he gave it to the traveler. And this uh, enraged David. It made him angry because it was unjust and it was unfair. And he says, this man should be put to death. And the prophet said, you're the man. You're the one that did this. You, you are the man. And now David, at this point, he has two options, right? He can reject it, the responsibility, the accountability. He can deny it. He could put blame on others. He could say it was her fault. She was out there. What was she doing out there in the first place? Or he could own it. He could own that sin that he did, and he did that. First Samuel 12, 13, then David confessed to Nathan. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. When David took the census and he counted the people of Israel and it angered the Lord because Israel didn't belong to David. It belonged to God and David moved without the permission of God and God addressed it. Uh, David said, I have sinned greatly in what I have done and I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant uh, for I have done very foolishly. David understood that what God wanted in his life uh, wasn't all the great victories. It wasn't the defeat of the giants and the bears and the lions. It wasn't the defeat of the armies. What God was looking for in the heart of this warrior was a sincere heart, a contrite heart. And that's what David had to learn. He had to learn contrition. Contrition, according to the International Bible Encyclopedia, it says a contrite heart is one in which natural pride and self-sufficiency have been completely humbled by the consciousness of guilt. The Hebrew and Greek words often translated concrete or contrite, excuse me, uh, which actually mean crushed, crippled, or broken. A contrite heart offers no excuses, shifts no blame, and it fully agrees with God about how evil it is. And a contrite heart throws itself upon the mercy of God knowing it deserves nothing but righteous wrath. David understood what he had done, and he came to a place where he was able to own it, and with the help and the strength of God, moved past it. When you read the book of Psalms, um, you're often reading David's journal when he was going through some of maybe the darkest times in his life, when he was going through this struggle and having to reconcile with God those actions that he did and when he was being chased by Saul and 
those times of depression in his life, to, you read those Psalms and, and you're reading a glimpse into what David was experiencing. And man, I read the Psalms and I get encouraged because it's oftentimes what I'm going through at times. And he writes in Psalms 51, 17, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Why did David have to learn this? Well, because repentance, it takes away the defeat and it, make, and it make, gives us a victory. It makes us victorious. And it doesn't mean that we won't suffer the consequences of what we go through or the, or the decisions that we made, but it makes uh, those consequences bearable because of the grace and mercy and the love of God in our lives. It frees us from the devil's uh, condemnation and his torment, and we are set free. And the Bible says that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? And this is important to... Uh, for a warrior of God. It's important because if we're going to be effective for the kingdom of God, that we have to allow the spirit of God to heal us. We have to allow the spirit of God to get in those areas where at times we want to keep him out. Right? You heard that saying, uh, hurt people hurt people, right? Well, healed people heal people. You know, and when we allow the Spirit of God to come in and to heal us and to, and to amend us and to restore us, uh, our minds, our thoughts, our heart, uh, to free us from that guilt of shame and condemnation and that torment that the enemy brings, uh, you know what we're able to do? We're able to pass that along to someone else. We're able to go on and, and encourage someone else who might be going through that uh, same old circumstance or situation. Why? Because God is now uh, giving you an authority over that. My wife uh, sent me this scripture uh, just yesterday, 2 Corinthians uh, um, 10. Uh, I should have wrote down the verse. It says, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. And when you've gone through certain um, storms and certain battles in your life, uh, whether it was dealing with a sickness or a health issue, or whether it was dealing with an assault on your family or assault on your marriage or assault on, on your finances, uh, and you, by the grace of God, have to have victory. You've got authority over that now. And when you see your fellow brother or sister struggling with that, you can say, you know what, let me help you pray for this. Let me help you, let me encourage you with this. Let me lift up a burden and let me fight alongside of you now in prayer and fasting and study and encouragement. David, like you and I, have to understand that the battle is not ours anyways. The battle belongs to the Lord. And those things that you wrestle with that you battle with, that don't seem to go away, that persist in your life, you got to remember whose battle that is. And that's the battle is God's, man. The battle is the Lord's. And those things need to be placed upon the altar of God. They need to be placed at the foot of the cross. 1 Samuel 17, 47. The battle belongs to God. It says, Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, 
and he will give you into our hands. Sometimes it might feel like the enemy is winning, right? Sometimes you, be, you might even think like, God, where are you in this? God, why does it seem like injustice is always uh, winning? Why does it seem like evil is prevailing? God, where are you in all of this struggle and in all of this uh, chaos that sometimes goes on? That's where the uh, army of God was. When the giant was for 40 days and for 40 nights uh, threatening them and mocking them and defying them, they, they were there wondering, where's God, man? Why is this giant tormenting us? Why does this giant constantly berate us? You know what happened? Was they forgot who they were. They forgot that they were the army of the living God. They forgot that they served the living God. They forgot who God was. Church, we're the army of God. We are the army of God. God has given us authority. He's given us an anointing. He's given us an ability to minister and witness. He's given us a victory over the enemy. Remember that song we used to sing? God's got an army marching through the land. That's all I remember. Healing in their hand. Oh, man. See, the Bible says that that army was dismayed and even greatly afraid because they were trying to do it within their own strength, in and of their own strength. And the battles that we face, they're spiritual. It might not be that we're wrestling with demons and demonic oppression and possession, but we we do wrestle with those demonic assaults when they come against our children. When they come against our marriage, when they come against our health, when they come against our finances, when they come against our relationships. And in and of our own strength, uh, oftentimes we will be powerless. But the good news is in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But the Bible says mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments, uh, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, and bringing every thought every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Christ understands the battle that we go through, and that's why he's equipped us. And that's why he's given us these spiritual weapons to fight against uh, that devil, because, again, the devil is a liar, but he is defeated, man. He is under our foot, and the Bible says that we, we can put our foot upon his neck, man. We don't have to continue to struggle with these issues and these torments that the enemy would try to bring into our lives, but we have that uh, ability to fight in Jesus' name. Spirit of God equips us. We got to thank God for what he's done for us. Now, we don't fight this fight alone, amen? As I close, as the worship team comes up, we know that we're not alone in this battle. God is with us. Amen. There, uh, Major Robert J. Riley of the U.S. Army, he was asked the question, why do soldiers fight? And he said, different things motivate different individuals to fight or to sustain a fighting spirit. He says, you know, group cohesion, pride, ideology, patriotism, leadership, self-preservation, all of these uh, are, are, are factors why soldiers would fight. He said, however... All of these motivating factors 
they tend to deteriorate after prolonged exposure to combat, except one. He said that one that doesn't deteriorate is small unit cohesion. He says the strongest motivation for enduring combat, especially for U.S. soldiers, is the bond formed among members of a squad or platoon. This cohesion is the single most important uh, sustaining and motivating force for combat soldiers. Simply put, uh, that these soldiers, they begin to fight for one another. That that when they're in combat, the, the, the the ideals and patriotism and all these motivating factors that went into it uh, begin to deteriorate and they're now fighting for one another. They're now fighting for their brothers in arms. They're now fighting alongside one another. And if, uh, you know, one goes, we all go. And that mentality that they leave none behind. And that should be the picture of the army of God. That should be the picture of the church of God. That we would fight alongside one another. That we would contend with one another. You know, that we would uh, bear one another's burdens. That we would, when we would see one of our brothers or one of our sisters going through something that we would lend that hand in prayer or fasting or however it is that God places on your heart to help, uh, that we would encourage one another, that we would fight alongside one another. We would bear each other's burdens. Again, my brother, we're talking about this scripture, bearing each other's burdens and he said you know when he was in boot camp and they would have full gear full packs they would be tired and they would have to you know, go on their, their their humps on their marches their hikes and um, he says that they were told that when you see one straggling behind go up to the side of them and lift up their their pack lift up their burden and encourage them to keep going forward and he says that when you do that When you get along someone that is struggling, that has a heavy load, and you begin to lift that load up off of their shoulders and help them go forward, he says, you know what you do is you help them go forward. You help them keep moving. You you help them get past uh, that fatigue and that struggle, and you help them keep going and enduring to the end. He says, but what you also do is you forget about the weight that you carry for a while. You forget about the pack that's weighing you down for a while. And church, we need to forget about the weights that weigh us down sometimes and start focusing on our brother or our sister that's struggling and saying, you know what, how can I help you lift up that burden? How can I help you and encourage you? Just pray for me. I could do that. And I could buy you dinner. Amen. Amen. God is good. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 11. It says, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, and so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Amen. If we could have our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight.